Hello and welcome to the I Was Gonna podcast. Episode 11, Food, During and Post-COVID-19. Our guest today is Chef Gary McLean. Gary is Scotland's first national chef food ambassador. He's an author, he's a lecturer at City of Glasgow College and winner of MasterChef The Professionals in 2016. We caught up with Gary to discuss how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted on his work. So Gary, how have you found this unprecedented time? Um, to, to be honest, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, I mean, who would have thought that, that we'd be in this situation? You know, in Scotland just now, there's about 80% of all chefs are unemployed. I mean, it's just incredible. You know, I've, I'm on a committee that we meet, you know, once or twice a month before all of this to try and solve the issue of the chef shortage in Scotland. And now that committee is the opposite you know how can we help how can we help these chefs get through this um oh it's 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 tragic i mean i've got a lot of different hats on whether it's um the national chef role or whether it's um being at college or my industry hat because um my whole life's been industry so it's uh it's sometimes very very difficult to even contemplate what's going on at the minute out there for for restaurateurs hoteliers i mean it's just incredible who would have thought yeah, I mean, it's been, it's just been so unpredictable as well. And I suppose not really knowing when things are going to change and it's just not having a time scale for anything. Um, and especially, you know, in an industry that is going to be so directly focused with people as well. Um, yeah. There's so much fear um, from the general public as well, you know, thinking yeah. about going back to, to those kind of environments. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things there. I think at the start, you know, a lot of these committees were talking about, or a lot of the, the stuff we were all on about was, you know, how do we open with social distancing? And we're talking about perspex and, and, and greenhouses in the street and all that sort of stuff. And the reality is it's all, dare I say it, pie in the sky, because none of us know, none of us know how it's going to be how, how we're going to reopen. Nobody knows what the social distance is going to be. You know, but from a college point of view, we're working on a worst case scenario. Yeah. It's then easier to to drag it back. So at the minute, the team at the college are working on how to facilitate practical classes with a two metre distance. And to be fair, you know, the, the, the one positive out of all of this is college you know we you know the everyone's on it everyone's we are running the college as though it's open so no one's been disadvantaged the the teaching staff are you know the the guys are the feedback from the guys is that the the attainment in class is great the students are getting really into working on on a screen as a virtual environment but we've always been pretty good at college that we went our department went paperless a few years ago, probably four or five years ago, we took a, a, a decision to go paperless. Nothing got handed in via old packs or anything like that. We didn't print anything. So everything was done via our VLE. So, you know, 
it's been a, a godsend during this. And the only thing that's now changed is we're using teams to actually interact with the students. But the guys that are doing it every day are getting great numbers. They're getting great um, great interaction with the students. So they're, they're, they're always very positive about it. Do you find that it's actually more engaging in, in certain ways? Because you know the focus is right there, right in front of you. There's no other distractions. I think I, I think I mean from a from a meetings point of view, I'm not I'm no longer face to face teaching students anymore. I kind of moved roles a wee bit in the college, but I think I think what this sort of technology enables is that the spotlight's on you, so you you, you can't drift off, you know, because you're there and you'll be expected to answer questions and you know. I think there is. I mean, you've not got physical interaction, but. I, you're definitely looking folk in the eye in a strange kind of way, mm-hmm. you know. And I think there's been a lot of chat about virtual meetings are more productive and and shorter. And I think that's the key. I think it's keeping keeping your lessons as short or keeping your time face to face like this short, so that people don't lose interest, you don't get distracted by the cat and stuff like that. Yeah. But the other the other side of that is is what kind of environment is that young student sitting in? You know, they might be in a packed house full of kids like me. Um, so it's making sure that that environment's right and they're provided with that, they're provided with the, the correct equipment to, to do it. Yeah. Uh, Callum, you want to say something? Yeah, I think that um, pretty probably about a year ago within my, my job, because we are quite a dispersed organisation all over Scotland, we started to do VCs and it was incredibly uh, apparent just how much more we got through because obviously there's a lot of chit-chat you know, in most companies that have actually utilised this process to take people and, and move them home, they've realised just how, how much more production they get out of people. Yeah. So for me, the pandemic will massively change how people do business. Yeah, there's people that still require that face-to-face interaction, but we're learning. And actually, I think this will jump our economies forward when we eventually do recover. Yeah. yeah. A big part of my job is international. And... I uh, I engage a lot in Asia and North America and I travel a lot and engagement wise and goodwill wise I have done 10 times more in the last 12 weeks with Asia with the USA than I could have ever done sitting in an office in Glasgow and then flying out every few weeks I mean it's it's definitely going to change my job My, my job now we'll be less travelling, more of this, and then when you do travel, it's it's actually doing what you're meant to be doing. So it's changed everything, I think. Mm-hmm. Gary, uh, just one of the things with regards to the college aspect, did you find any of the students were in a position that they didn't have the equipment or the, the broadband, etc.? I know that we, we've actually interviewed uh, Joe Wilson, one of your colleagues at uh, Glasgow yeah. City, and uh, he had raised a, an issue that uh, this was quite a... a, a, a a problem, the number of people that don't have access to good quality connection for broadband and the the tablets or laptops. Yeah. Um, In terms of the actual physical hardware, the college will provide anyone that doesn't have, including lecturing staff, because lecturing staff don't have it either. You know, they're going home to kids and stuff. Um, To be honest, I've never thought about the broadband issue. which, and I've never, I've not heard any of my colleagues or anything saying, but the other side of the coin is it can be done on your phone as well. 
Sure. So the actual meetings can be done on your phone and, and the, you know, you're getting a lot of data on phones these days, whether or not it's enough to run a, a 30 hour a week, uh, you know, you know, Teams or Zoom, I don't know, but it's, it's something I've not heard. But it's interesting. I will ask the question the next time I speak to the team. So, have you have you kind of approached things in a different way from a a cooking perspective because of the whole lockdown situation? Has there been anything that's just made you kind of look at things in a in a different way, and literally in that that creative way? I suppose whenever you're coming up with any ideas. Yeah, I think the, the big thing, I've always been, I mean, I, I always had a, a kind of statement saying that I've won one of the biggest fine dining competitions in the world and I'm not a fine dining chef. You know, I've always focused on fundamental basic skills, you know, when teaching young people. Most of the restaurants that I ran, especially in the last sort of 20 years, were always kind of middle market, family, bar, cinema sort of places. So I've never really done done fine dining. But what I think it has done and the positives are that people are definitely looking at food as an important factor in their life because they're stuck in. They're yeah. stuck in and it's one thing they can get to look forward to. So a lot of people are cooking engagement with live demos, recipes, all that sort of stuff is huge. And it's not just, you know, what I'm doing. There's lots and lots of chefs and talented people out there doing daily, you know, podcasts or doing live Facebook shows and stuff like that. So people are cooking. Kids are cooking. Parents are cooking. You know, McDonald's has been shut for 10 weeks. <laughs> so that's a good thing. So, so, people, so there's not that... Ah, I can't be bored, it's Tuesday, I'm just in from work. There's no excuses anymore, you know, people, and I think people are engaging with food. And I've always said this, in Scotland, to get people to eat better, it's a generational change, you know, it's really difficult to do. So we have to start with the kids and make sure that they're getting a great culinary education from nursery all the way through to, the, to high school. You know, it's a skill that I think everyone has to learn. But what's happened with this pandemic, that people are home cooking more than ever, which I think is awesome. Mm -hmm. So, And I think once they understand, and they're buying better as well, they're buying from local butchers. You know, I'm hearing about the fish vans coming back and, and they're getting deliveries from wholesalers. So they're starting to, to buy really good quality food at really affordable prices. Uh, and again, I think that will continue. I think these suppliers will keep going supplying people's houses. Yeah, so there's been um, a few positives with food. And my wife came across um, your recipe yesterday for tablet. Yes, uh, it, it was on Facebook, I believe. So um, I'm not too sure That's if you. Healthy thing ever. Uh, sorry, say that again. <laughs> the most unhealthy thing ever. I didn't want to say that, but no, um, it's terrible. But I was having, asked to do that by the record, I think. <laughs> but but um, having said that, I, I need to make sure that I do get the recipe from you before. <laughs> no worries, I'll, I'll email that out. <laughs> Tablet is my wife's favourite, it has to be said. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, Gary, that you know a lot of the schools uh, in each local authority area, there's some hubs have been retained. And, and, and when I was asking why that had happened, a lot of the feedback that I was getting was just around about children being able to get a daily meal. Mm -hmm. yep. And you take that for granted so much, yeah. You know, I think people who are in households where people have got ingredients and cook, etc., great. But actually, the school hubs are going to stay open right through the summer. For yeah, the yeah. It's, it's changed as well. Yeah, the, the summer, the summer hunger thing is a is a major issue. Uh, again, it's something I've been working with for the last four or five years. Um, but again, that's going to be one of the good things. But the second we shut down, that question came up and there was a solution there already. 
So it wasn't, you know, it was really from from my point of view to think that the government had thought, you know, these kids still need fed. That's a priority. And it, it was a seamless transition that anyone who needed it. And likewise with things like the cash payments and stuff, the vouchers that people can get to make yeah. sure that their, their kids are getting uh, a nice meal. So, you know, the good on the, the government for that. They, they, they thought about it instantly and acted upon it. So I've got some friends that are actually in the schools cooking the food for the, for, for the young people. So um, it's nice to hear that. Okay. Uh, do you have any thoughts about how do you think the, the food industry is going to change post-COVID? Again, it's one of those things that you can stick your finger and stick it in there and, and wonder. I, I, I do think we have to look at other countries that are ahead of us and see how they're coping. I'm on a, a WhatsApp group with about 120 lecturers from about 80 different countries around the world. And we all talk and, and interact. And to be honest, I'm just really interested in how are they opening, what's happening. You know, today the message was in from France that they are back to class apart from campuses in Paris. So everywhere else seems to be be open. Obviously, the news this week was New Zealand. N no coronavirus, none in the whole country. So obviously, they've shut their borders, but they are, they're, they're back to normal with no social distancing. But again, they went back with social distancing about five or six weeks ago. Um, but again, they they had hardly any. So... Is, is, there a, is there a danger, Gary, that, you know, that obviously um, chefs are transient? So you said before the, the COVID break that we were struggling to get uh, chefs. Is there a danger that we actually lose a lot of our people in the export out of the countries that are ahead of us? Um, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't know if they're, they're heading out the country because I don't know how they get there. Um, there. There has been chat about a lot of people that have been paid off, not even made redundant, they've been paid off. There was a little gap between the Prime Minister telling us not to go to restaurants and then the furlough scheme. Uh, yeah. So what happened then was restaurants are really honest, most of them are on a shoestring. The chefs get paid off, so they lose their job, and then the, the furlough scheme came in, which, again, didn't benefit them. But there's a danger that they've then found other jobs, whether they're driving, whether they're working in a supermarket or, or they've went into care or something like that. Or yeah. There's a danger they don't come back. But I think on the other hand as well, you've got people who, in loads of different industries sitting at home, loving cooking, enjoying, finding the love for yeah. food that may come into the industry. So... We'll always be short-staffed. I've been a chef 35 years. We've been short-staffed since the day and minute I started. We will always be short-staffed. Um, but food's a kind of passionate thing. It's From a chefing point of view, it's very visual. It's on TV. It's a, it's an aspirational job these days, you know. Um, so I think we will always, we will always, I don't think we'll, we'll I don't think we'll, initially I don't think we'll struggle. I think there's plenty of chefs out there that are desperate for work. Um, and then in a couple of years' time, we'll probably be back to saying, right, where are we going to get more chefs? Mm -hmm. so, get pickers. <laughs> yeah. so, Gary, one of, one of your roles is as Scotland's first national chef ambassador. Um, yep. What do you want to achieve from that? And how, if anything, has that sort of changed um, because of the current situation? Um, at the minute, I mean, the, the role itself came with a, a kind of four-page 
list of uh, uh, wants, so to speak. Um, and I'll be honest, I've kind of focused on two things. I focused on food education for kids and the uh, food poverty. And that's really what I've concentrated on. There's loads of other stuff that you, you, you could be doing, but um, that for me has been the most important thing is getting kids cooking. So my role is to support young people into the into not not even into food industry, just into the kitchen, so that they can learn these fundamental skills that will carry them through their lives and give them a, a healthier future, so to speak. Um, and that's really all I've concentrated on. the The national chef, as in getting most of my stuff has always been going out. So I'm going out to schools and I'm going out to um, care homes, prisons and all that. That has obviously stopped. Um, but I think there's still a role to play. For instance, today I was uh, doing a, a, a cook-along, a home economics cook-along for the STB appeal. Um, and again, you've got your, your national chef hat on for that. I did a virtual um, Royal Highland show demonstration that I've just recorded in my kitchen that will be shown the, the four days of the Royal Highland show. Um, so that it's still there, the role's still there, but you've just got to adapt and change, I think, like everyone else has. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously this is something you really enjoy in terms of supporting younger chefs and, and training young talent. Definitely, yeah, 100%. And getting, you know, you know, one, one five-minute conversation can change a young person's life and it changed my life at college you know I, mm -hmm. I'm a product of college I've been there my whole life I met my wife Sharon there um, all my friends I've met through there um, I'm a firm believer in, in good education and you know and and the people at college are great City of Glasgow College is an incredible place um, and the, the team there can send a student anywhere in the world you know we, we've sent students to Buckingham Palace and to New York and Sydney and Dubai and everywhere else so mm -hmm. the world's your oyster when you've got good people that can direct and advise like I got yeah. you know through my whole career so sure yeah, Gary, just, just on that, you're obviously very passionate about food, but also very passionate about training uh, yeah. people. Uh, do you miss the, you'd said previously that you'd uh, come up through the ranks within restaurants and owned restaurants, etc. Yeah. Do you miss the restaurant side of things where you get that instantaneous feedback or do you prefer the actual getting a reflection from a, 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 a trainee saying, I can now go out and do that, so you get that? buzz from them as well yeah I mean me burning out a chicken it gives me a buzz you know I enjoy it <laughs> I enjoy it all uh, to be honest I've, I'm just recently you know this is the only period in my life where I've never been involved in a restaurant even though I've been full time at college since 2010 it took me to win MasterChef that enabled me not to have to work two jobs so I always ran restaurants so while I was full time at college on MasterChef I was running five restaurants so, you know, so it was always there. And it's only the last couple of years that I've ever had a weekend off, ever, in my whole mm -hmm. career. In 30 odd years, is the first time I've had a weekend off where I can sit on a Friday night and arrange a party with my pals or take my kids somewhere. So, in a short word, I don't miss the restaurants. Um, I don't feel as though I'm not connected to them, but sure. I don't miss that Friday, Saturday every single week in my life uh, being gone because uh, I'd never had it before and I'd never missed it before but now I know what I'm missing and I don't want to do it again.
<laughs> being honest. Yeah, Cal? <laughs> Gary, I'm listening to what you're saying there. I'm thinking, how the heck do you balance all of that? You know, it must be a phenomenal amount of planning goes into all of those different roles and hats that you wear, excuse the pun. But, you know, yeah. how, how do you balance that? How do you plan your I've, life? I've always, I've always done it. Um, so I used to run big companies. I used to run companies like G1. I was exec chef there. And another huge, amazing company, Buzzworks. I was exec chef there for a few years. And what, what my real talent was was opening businesses opening new restaurants you know recruiting a team training a team coming up with a concept menus opening it and then moving on and doing the same again so I think in my career I've opened about 80 restaurants so that tended to be my real sort of skill set was having that ability to juggle lots of things at once but throughout all of that I always worked at college so I was a day a week at college so I I was a a part-time student that went there for eight years and then I had a, a year's gap. So I was doing twilight classes in amongst sort of learning, learning my trade. And then I did um, at a year out where I was not, not involved with college. And I got a phone call from uh, the boss to ask if I would take on a class on a Wednesday. So I took on that class and kept that on for 13 years. So my day off... Every, every, no matter what job it was, no matter how big my job was, my day off was a Wednesday so that I could teach. And then, so I was full-time, obviously, running loads of restaurants, part-time at college, and then in 2010, the whole thing switched. But I was still doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So see, obviously, a MasterChef is just such an incredible uh, achievement. What was it that kind of pushed you to to do that in the first place was that always an ambition of yours (laughs) (laughs) madness no do you know what i i am a big fan of the show uh master chef professionals and i still to this day think it's the best show on tv um i love the way it's made i love the way that i mean it's only programmed the world where people actually do what they're doing for a living are actually on tv doing it yeah you know, so if you look at all the other ones, you know, it doesn't matter if you're rubbish because it's not really your profession. But MasterChef Professional is the only, the only reality TV show in the world that does that. Um, but we used it as a good, we used it as a teaching tool at college. So for the heats of MasterChef, there was the skills tests. And that's the bit where the chef walks through the doors terrified. The judges are standing there and they give them what they call a kind of basic task to do. Um, you know, and it might be filling a fish or poaching something or whatever it may be. And uh, so what would happen is it would be on TV the night before, you would have your class in the next morning, you'd get them around the table and the topic of conversation was how bad was that head chef who couldn't bone out about a lamb? Chef, we do that in first year. So for us as lecturers and educators, it was great to use that as a tool to say, this is why you're investing your time at college because you will be a head chef eventually, but you need to know you, the basics, you need to know all those skills. And I also did a lot of competitions. So I was the uh, competition coach at college and we won everything. The city of Glasgow College went to America, we went to London and we were the team to beat in the UK. So the students started t- saying to me, why don't you do, you know, you can show us how to do it, put your money where your mouth is and see if you can do it yourself. And that's that's what happened. This, you might find this com- a completely ridiculous question, but um, what is your favourite dish to cook? I, mean, I get asked that twice a day. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I ask that. I love. I love everything. I mean, today I made uh, the best TV appeal. I made macaroni cheese. 
Nice. Love to teach little, little kiddies how to make macaroni cheese. What, which, what, do, you, do you have a secret ingredient for that? No, not at all. Just do it. It's involved. It's fine. Um, nice, nice ingredients. Uh, it's not the healthiest dishes. So, uh, again, we're back to that. But uh, yeah, good ingredients. You know, not messed about with are, are good. Um, I love cooking. I love cooking things like fish and shellfish. A lot of chefs do because it's instant. It's yeah. you know uh, uh, the, the the margin for error is tiny. So no, I enjoy it all. I enjoy boning out a chicken. I enjoy filleting fish. I enjoy everything. I even don't mind washing dishes. If if you could actually if you could actually choose any anywhere in the world to go to for for a meal, what would that be? It would be Eleven Madison Park, New York. Best restaurant in the world. Any any particular reason? Yeah. The, the, the yeah. food. But I love definitely. I love New York. I, Oh, there's Mal. Sorry, two secs. Oops. Hello. Is that you? No. Are you not? Oh, nightmare. Right. Do you want me to swap over with you? Do you want me to swap over? Right. Cool. I know. Cool. That'll be him. Right. I'm gonna wake up while he's solid. Right. Cool. I know. I'm in the middle of this interview. On Zoom. Can I phone you back in two minutes? Okay. Right. Bye. Right. Bye. Right. Bye. He's not getting out. Oh, okay. He's not getting out yet. He's sleeping. Oh. So my wife's not a happy bunny. She's been in there since half seven. Anyway, where were we? Um, 11 Madison. Indeed. My, oh, 11 uh, Madison yeah. Park. Yeah, yeah. So, um, no, I just, I, I, I don't know. I know I know New York really well. Um, and I, as I say, I think in Europe, everybody really, really knows it. But when you work in New York and you could be working five blocks from it, the chefs don't even know what it is, which I think very bizarre. But uh, no, I think New York, New York's probably my favourite city in general for everything. Yeah, I can understand that. I spent some time in New York as a kid from when I was seven till I was 11. So it kind of, it, it does massively inform kind of the way you look at the world when whenever you've lived there as well, you know? Yeah, I'm over probably four to five weeks a year in New York. God, so jealous. So jealous. My favourite, um, uh, I know New York better than I know Edinburgh. Yeah, well, I think I'd probably be the same, actually. Callum, you were going to say something? Gary, I just when I'm listening to you talking there, I'm from an apprenticeship background as well. I think it's really interesting how many uh, overlaps there is. You know, you're taught as an apprentice joiner, measure it twice, fit it once, it's basics. And yeah. actually that still happens every day that you're a joiner right through. You know, you could be a master joiner, that principle still applies. And yeah. it sounds as though that's exactly the same. You know, when you're going through your apprenticeship in cooking, you could be creating the most phenomenal dishes, but actually the same principles are the foundation that you start with. And, yeah. and that continues throughout your career. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the, the culture is today with things like Instagram and stuff like that. And I suppose even when I was younger, I mean, if we wanted to steal somebody's recipe or idea, we would actually have to go work in the restaurant or go to the front door of the restaurant and actually write down their menu on a pad. You know, there was no camera phones, there was no Instagram, there was no YouTube or anything like that. So, you know, we used to do what was called stages. So you would you would work for free somewhere. So the best restaurants that you could find that you could drive to and back in the same day, you would just phone them up and say, look, I work here. I love what you're doing. Can I come and work for free? So, um, and that's how you, 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 you get it. You know, I did, I did that um, Nick Nairn's Brave Owl when I was a wee boy. And um, they used to have a split and Nick was great. And, it was, you know, he'd, he'd get bikes and he'd want to take you up the hills and all that sort of stuff, you know. And he was trying to give you the full, the full experience. I never wanted to go because I needed him out of the kitchen so that I could nick his recipes. His recipes used to be on little cards, the little box of cards he used to get. So I had to get rid of him so I could sit and, and steal his, write his recipes. But uh, but these days you can just Google it, don't you? You just Google yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But So there's a danger that they Google something, they look at a beautiful picture on Instagram that probably took the guy about four days to photograph, and then they try and replicate that without the full understanding of the texture, the flavour, and all that sort of stuff. So, no, it's interesting. Those so things okay. have changed. So, Gary, we, we don't have much time left and we don't want to keep you, but uh, just a couple of more questions. What advice would you give your younger self? Uh, do, 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 do. Again, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy how things have gone. Um, you know, the, I'd... My only regret in my career was I once got in, got interviewed to go work at Disney in Florida, and uh, to get to work in the states, you have to be an expert in your field, or at the time, you had to be an expert in your field better than an American could do it. So, and and Disney only had one British restaurant, and it was called the Rose and Crown Pub in Epcot and basically it was just like a big massive fish and chip shop you know it was just a, and I'd never cooked that sort of food or anything like that so I went for the final interview the accommodation and my wife's visa and everything else was all sorted the first question from the exec chef of Disney was so you want to cook fish and chips what did I say no <laughs> and that was it <laughs> end of uh, end of interview so uh, that kind of bugged me for about 20 years but um, but if that had worked where would it have been yeah I just don't know. know you just don't know you know so you know I've got a beautiful family here um, you know I've had, I've had great experience great time travelling I've got the best job ever at the City of Glasgow College um, so you know you can't you can't live with any kind of regrets but I've always worked hard um, my advice to a young person would be make sure you work somewhere that makes you happy and work hard work harder than anybody else and I've always had that mentality even from 15 I wanted to be better than the guy who was showing me I yeah. wanted to work harder and longer and uh, you know and that's always been my mantra mm -hmm. so and it's not changed one final thing uh, Gary and I, and I know we've kind of touched on it a few times that you know it's kind of hard to guess what's going to happen uh, after COVID but do you have anything planned yourself uh, for the future uh, at this stage? I had this 
this was looking like my best year uh, in terms of everything I was doing. Uh, I had some great associations lining up. I, I had some great travel. I had Cuba in September. I had New Hampshire in September. I had New York a couple of times. All cancelled. <laughs> Everything's cancelled. So my diary in terms of all of that is, um, is gone. Um, but again, I, I feel lucky that, you know, I'm better off than a lot of people. I'm better off than a lot of chefs that, you know, that are that are sitting at home. Um, what it's shown me, and I, th- I really, I really believe what this whole thing has shown me that I think I am officially a workaholic. I don't think of it a day off. I cannot stop. Every single day, I'm doing some sort of filming or videoing or um, interviews or writing for the paper or every single day. Every day, it's kind of mad, mm. and I don't feel as though I've got a day off because there's no differentiation between a Sunday and a Monday yeah. so, or a night time and a daytime. so there's no 95 there's no Monday to Friday so it has been non-stop and hopefully in the next few weeks I can try and segment that and have a day off for the kids but every day I'm doing something you know I've posted I think I think I'm on 80, 81 eight, my 81st recipe on Facebook you know, so there's that challenge every day to make sure you've got something up, something yeah. different. So it's just non-stop. But, um, but no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change. But I've, we just don't know what's happening. So um, I think my next, I think my next trip abroad will probably be India in February. Right. If that gets cancelled, I'd be disappointed that we're still in this position, and mm-hmm. not because I'd miss a trip, just because we'd still be in this position. I'm kind of hoping by then that we can start looking towards 2021 being a, a something a bit more normal. Thank you to Gary McLean for joining us this week. If you'd like more information on the Awasgoni project, check out www.awasgoni.co.uk And join us next time for another episode. In the meantime, stay safe and stay home.